continuing our look at, at Exodus, and we are uh, in Exodus 25, verses 10 through 40. And we're going to spend the next four or five chapters looking at, thinking about the tabernacle, this dwelling place of God, in the, in the midst of His people. And if you were here last week, that's, that's what I wanted to leave you with, was not to think so much about the furnishings or the pieces that were you know, the type, the materials. We're going to get into that. But to just to, to sit and just... Like, Moses goes up into this, this, this glory cloud, this consuming fire, this, this manifestation of God. And God, the first thing He says is... Write this down. I'm going to live in a tent and travel with you. And that this glory that you're beholding, that's surrounding you, this glory that the people on the ground beheld, that consumed the top of the mountain, said, I'm going to, I'm going to dwell with you in a tent like you and go with you where you go. You're not, I'm not sending you off on your own. And so, I, I mean, just, Wow. Wow, that, that's, that's the thing we need to take away. Because if, if you've grown up in the church, you've heard of the tabernacle, you've heard of the temple, it kind of becomes old stuff, it becomes just weird Old Testament stuff. But no, this is amazing. And now he's giving instructions. And he does something kind of strange um, when he's giving, and, and Jimmy can back me up on this, when we start with... Um, he starts about the, 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 the instructions for the sanctuary with the furniture. And that's, that's not done. <laughs> right? You know? Even if you're, if you're building a new house and you've got your favorite, like, the, like your, your mother, your grandmother's china cabinet, or you know, dad's recliner, uh, it would be strange to start out, like give Jimmy plans, who's a builder, and go, alright, I want the first thing you do is to put the recliner on the slab. And then we're going to build around it. That's weird, all right? But, you know, it's, that's not how you start, uh, the, you know, giving instructions, right? Uh, and, and so there's something, you know, there's, there's, there's something very, you know, there's an important point here. Uh, and I think the point is this, is, this is the most important piece, the, these furnishings that he begins with. Now, um, you notice in your bulletin that there's uh, the passage is printed and then there's, a passage that's in parentheses. Now, if now the cool thing about this, about Exodus, is God gives very detailed instructions, and then a few chapters later, in chapter 37, we see God's people execute the instructions. And the good news is, they do it exactly like God said. So there's God's saying, do it this way. Build these furnishings. Build my tabernacle in this way with these materials. And then, at the end of Exodus, toward the end, it says, and then we did this. And it's the exact word for word. So, I'm not going to repeat this. I'm not going to reread it. But I want you to get that at this point, in, 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 you know, in, in the, the, the nation of Israel and their, in their existence, they heard God's instructions... And they did it exactly right. God provided what they needed, and they and they end up executing and building these objects, these furnishings, the tabernacle, just as He said. So this parallel, the the actual 
you know, obedience to this command is recorded in 37, 1 through 24. So that's why that's there. We're not going to repeat, uh, repeat that when we get to it. But just want you to know why that's there. And you can check that out. Um, it's just the only difference is one's in present tense, one's in past tense. And then we did this. Then we did exactly what God said. So we're here. We're, we're looking at the furniture first. Um, and, and because it's significant, um, uh, significant piece. The, the, these, this is everything else is built around this, and so um, we need to focus upon it. So, with that said, let me let me pray, and then we will um, we will read God's word. Gracious God, we thank you for um, what these these furnishings, these uh, objects in your in your dwelling place. What they show us about you, uh, open our eyes, open our hearts to what they communicate. Um, help us to be in awe of the beauty that they show us, the beauty and the and the and the and the graciousness of your heart toward us, um, and the and the splendor and and glory that you that you have, um, Lord. Help us to see you. Uh, more clearly as we look at this scripture this morning. Um, we need your help, Holy Spirit. Illuminate this, your word, and give me uh, the words to speak. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Exodus 25, beginning with verse 10. They shall make an ark of acacia wood. Two cubits and a half shall, its length, shall be its length, a cubit and a half its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. You shall overlay it with pure gold inside and outside. You shall overlay it, and you shall make on it a molding of gold around it. You shall cast four rings of gold for it and put them on its four feet, two rings on the front side of it and two rings on the back side of it. You shall make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold, and you shall put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry the ark by them. The poles shall remain in the rings of the ark. They shall not be taken from it. And you shall put into the ark the testimony that I shall give you. You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall its length be its length, and a cubit and a half its breadth. And you shall make two cherubim of gold, of hammered work you shall make them on the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub on the one end and one cherub on the other end. Of one piece with the mercy seat shall you make the cherubim on, it, on its two ends." The cherubim shall spread out their wings above and overshadow the mercy seat with their wings, their faces and they their faces one to another. Toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubim be. And you shall put the mercy seat on the top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony that I shall give you. There I will meet with you. And from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the ark of the testimony, I will speak with you about all that I will give you in the commandment for the people of Israel. You shall make a table of acacia wood. Two cubits shall be its length, a cubit its breadth, and a cubit its height, um, and a half its height. You shall overlay it with pure gold and make a molding of gold around it. You shall make a rim around its handbreadth, a handbreadth wide, and a molding of gold around the rim. And you shall make for it four rings of gold, and fasten the rings to the four corners of the four legs. Close to the frame, the rings shall lie as holders for the poles to carry the table. 
You shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold, and the table shall be carried with these. And you shall make its plates and dishes for incense, and its flagons and bowls with which to pour drink offerings. You shall make them of pure gold, and you shall set the bread of the presence on the table before me regularly. You shall make a lampstand of pure gold. The lampstand shall be made of hammered work, its base, its stem, its cups, its calyxes, and its flowers shall be of one piece with it. And there shall be six branches going out of its sides, three branches of the lampstand out to one side of it, and three branches of the lampstand out to the other side of it. Three cups like almond blossoms, each with calyx and flower uh, on one branch, and the three cups made like diamond blossoms each with calyx and flower on the other branch. And so for the six branches going out of the lampstand. And on the lampstand itself there should be four cups made like almond blossoms with their calyxes and flowers. And the calyx of one piece with it under each pair of the six branches going out from the lampstand. Their calyxes and their branches shall be of one piece with it. And the whole of it a single piece of hammered work of pure gold. You shall make seven lamps for it. And the lamps shall be set up so as to give light on the space up in front of it. Its tongs and their trays shall be of pure gold. It shall be made with all these utensils out of a talent of pure gold. And see that you make them after the pattern for them, which is being shown to you on the mountain. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Um... I'm a, I'm a dad, y'all know that, and uh, I like to tell dad jokes. Uh, dads, you know, I don't know what happens. You, it's not that dads don't know that the jokes are not funny. We know they're not funny, and that gives us a strange joy, and I don't, I don't know. Um, why do I bring this up? You know, one of my favorite dad jokes is, is when my kids goes, hey, dad, where's the bathroom? And I go, it's down the hall, it's that room with the toilet in it. And that's the joke I use, you know. And um, it's not funny. It's funny to me. You don't have to laugh. I like it. And, uh, and my kids usually go, okay. Anyway, that's how you know. And why do I say that? It's because usually you know what a room is by the furnishings. <laughs> right? You know what the room's function is by its furnishings. Again, that one's obvious. Right? That's how you know. You know what the restroom is. It's obvious. You go in, oh, that's the restroom. So, but it's like that with any other room. Uh, you know, the, the, the room is identified by what the kind of furniture is in it. Now, you, you could, if you go to a house, there's a typical layout, a plan. But if you were just transported into a room or someone walked you into a room with a blindfold and did this, you would pretty much know what room it was in a house based on the furniture, right? You see a long table with chairs. It's kind of nice. There's maybe a white tablecloth. There's a china cabinet in the corner. You go, that's the what? The dining room, right? If you go in and there's nice, you know, a nice couch, um, a coffee table, and it looks like maybe no one's ever sat on them, <laughs> you know that's the living room or the sitting room, right? You know, um, there's no stains on anything. Now, if you if you go into a room and you're and you see a you know a very worn couch and and and, and carpet and some toys and you and there's some stains maybe there and then, and there's you know there's a big TV. You go, this is the den or family room. It, it, it's easy. You kind of get, you can know what the room is by the furnishings. 
Um, you can also tell kind of, you know, how the feel of the room, not just the function of the room, but the feel of the room by the furnishings, can't you? You know? Um, you know, there, if you walk in and it's all very um, hard surfaces and, you know, and chairs lined up on a wall and this is a, you know, and, and it's like some desk and tape, like, oh, this is like a, this is like an office. This is a professional area. This isn't a place for goofing around. This is a place where you sit quietly and wait your turn, right? Um, if you walk in and there's padding on the walls. <laughs> and, the, and the floor is made of trampoline. You know you're at that, that trampoline park. And this is a place for fun. There's a different kind of atmosphere, right? So the furnishings really do make the room. It identifies the room. It tells you the function of the room and and the kind of what level of formality. You know, who belongs there? That that sitting room, you know, that's not a place for children. We don't have do anybody have a sit living room anymore where you don't let the kids go? You know? That used to be it was always in the front of the house, and I don't know why we got away from that, because it is hard to keep the den clean. You need a little room that's just don't go in there. That's just what we show people so they think we have it together, okay? That's, we don't use it during the week, and everything's nice and pristine. You come in, oh, what a nice, yeah, yeah. Can we see the rest of the house? No. Uh, but anyway, so furnishings really do make the room. It makes, makes the house. It tells us the function, tells us the, the, the feel. And, and that's, that's why I believe we start with the furnishings of the tabernacle. Now, I, I told you before that, you know, it would be weird to put, put Dad's chair in the middle of the, of the slab and build around it. That's really not what they did. When we get to, when you get to, when you read as they're actually executing these instructions, the, the order reverses. They actually do begin with the tabernacle. They build it first and then they put the things in. That makes more sense. But when God gives instruction, He goes, this is, this is the most important thing, are these items. And so what I want to do, I'm going to, I want us to get the purpose and the feel of the tabernacle by looking at the furnishings. And we're not going to go in the order as it comes here. We're going to go in the order in which you would see it as you enter in from left to right. And so if you were a priest in the order of Aaron, you would enter into the holy place... And the first thing you would see on your left would be the lampstand. The next thing you would see would be the table of presence. And as you kept working back and go around the altar of incense, which we'll get to later, then, unless you were the high priest, you could only be the high priest, you'd only go in once a year, then the veil, you would go behind the veil on the Day of Atonement and see the Ark, the Ark of the Covenant. So we're going to look at it that way, from left to right as we enter in and see what God's communicating through the furnishings, what He's telling us about His purpose his, and His personality and the feel of that space. So let's begin with this. We're looking at one, the lampstand, and this first point is that we see a light that is perpetual. That's our first point, a light that is perpetual. What do we see? We see as we, we go back... Uh, kind of reading this in reverse order to verse 31, we see a, 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 a lampstand. And we go, why, why would there be a lampstand in there? Well, there's a very practical reason. It's because there's no windows. There'll be no windows 
in the tabernacle. It's completely covered. So there's a very practical you know, sense of there needs to be some source of light as we, as we worship, as, they, as the, as the um, priests do what they need to do. Uh, so there's light uh, given in a practical sense, but it's made of precious, pure gold. And as we see, everything in this holy place and in, even in the holies of holies is made of gold. And what does that tell us? It tells us that this is a special place. It tells us that, that the most precious material they have, that, uh, that's going to be used in this place. That it's the most uh, important place. This is a, a place where God will, will, is, 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 is worshipped, where God resides, and it, it requires the most precious elements they have. The acacia wood it was just the wood that was probably most, that was most prevalent. Um, so that's not necessarily a you know a high end you know piece of lumber like cedar or something you know but it's it's it was sturdy it's, and but it was to be uh, this candle this lampstand is pure gold the the mercy seat is pure gold and everything else is wrapped in gold um, and because it's heavier and needs to be sturdier so it has a just a gold cover but again this is precious this is holy this is royal um, and it's used in gold as we as we go out from the tabernacle and we read of the other furnishings and other thing, you know, materials, they become uh, less precious. As we get into the, the courtyard, the, the, it's made of bronze, not gold. And as we get out to the outer rings of the tabernacle, the coverings of the tabernacle is made of, of iron. And so you, you realize that there's this, as you get closer in, the more precious, the more, the more uh, expensive the materials are. So again, royal um, heaven, you know, uh, you know, uh, important um, uh, space for God. Um, it's it's has seven lamps, and we can get kind of caught up in the description here, but I don't want to get too much in the details. It's seven lamps, and again, seven is a a number of completion. Again, that God created in six days, on the seventh He rested. Again, there's this number of seven is there, and. And there's light, there's lamps, you know, that are fueled by olive oil, and, and kind of this oil is in these cups, and you see that there's these, these, you know, little wicks that are put in there, and 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 these are lit. We find out later, um, as we read about the the function of of the priests, that they are to keep these lamps lit all the time. That their their job as a priest is to keep replacing the wicks and keep putting oil in those cups so that this, this light, as long as the tabernacle's up, it's always burning. It's never out. Day or night, light emanates from this, this lampstand. Uh, another word for this, the Hebrew word is menorah. Uh, it means, it comes from the, the root word that means to flame. And so, you know, when you think about your friends or people you know of, the Jews, they have the menorah that they light uh, uh, and um, at Hanukkah that's it's a picture it comes from this lampstand um, this idea of God of the light of God but this lampstand is, is made of gold it has seven lamps and you notice what is it supposed to look like it's made to look like a tree uh, specifically an almond tree and, and commentaries I looked at said that the almond tree was just a, a sign in, the, in, that, in that culture of fertility and of, uh, of provision. And here we have a tree that's in full bloom. 
You know, uh, the, there's, there's, there's buds, there's flowers. The, the calyx is the, is the part around the flower as it opens up. You know, sometimes you, if you think about a rose and the, and the green, the, the part of the bud around it that kind of flails open as the bud emerges, that, that, that's, that's what that is. And so imagine this. Imagine how beautiful it was. That it was, it, it was thicker at the base and it was, it was thinned out and it had a central shaft and then these six, three branches on either side and a central branch in the middle and there are these beautiful hand-hammered um, flowers and in them were light, lamps lighting up the room and, and it had to be a beautiful piece. But it was look, made it look like a tree in bloom. What does this say? What is this communicating as they walk in? Well, again, again, this is based on a pattern. You know, it's interesting, right? You read this and we're going to see this theme again and again. I, this is the pattern I have. And you go, pattern based on what? You know? Well, you know, if I... If I if you go to you know Lowe's or somewhere and get this you know a little package for a birdhouse, there it tells you gives you instructions for how to build it. Or kids, if you ever built Legos, you get like the I love Legos. I still like them. I don't. I just do anyway. But uh, you you get you get the instructions. You get a picture of it, but then you get step by step instructions of how to create this thing that you have a picture of. And so what it's saying is that there is this. This is based on a pattern, something that already exists. Again, I'm convinced. You see this, the light emanating and that it looks like a tree. This is to represent the perpetual light and glory of God, but also the tree of life. That in, in the holy place is a light that never stops shining and a tree that never stops blooming. That's a beautiful symbol of the, the mercy and the grace of God to His people. That, that is, you know, and, and to think in the garden, like that's what, when sin came, they were separated from that, right? They were, we were separated from the tree of life. We were separated from the perpetual light and life of God when sin entered the world. And as you walk in this place of worship, as you walk in this place of, of devotion to Yahweh, there on the right is this picture of light and life that is beautiful and perpetual. This is what we long for. And as you enter into the tabernacle, that's what you behold. Wonderful. So we see a light and life that is perpetual. And that's symbolized in this, in this lampstand. Second, we have the uh, table for bread. It's a... Uh, we have it... We have its, um, you know, description. It's it's a table. It's kind of you know shaped kind of like that table there, uh, and and uh, not exactly, but longer than it is wide. It's not a square. It's a rectangle, and it's got this edge around it. It's all overlaid with gold, and um, it has uh, means of carrying it. Apparently, it was very heavy, right? Uh, uh, you know, uh, some some folks move this table back in place. Uh, Brian and I move the this back up here. It you know we're strong. We could do it, but this is much heavier because it's it's all overlaid with gold. So there's these poles. It not only is a means to carry it, but it's to say that this is holy. 
and it's a holy uh, uh, it's holy in its in its in its use that it's not to be carried just like we carry this up here holding on to the the corners of it but it what did it have on it so it, you know in this space this lampstand is designed as you walk in it's actually on the lampstands on the left and it's designed to just shed light to the middle of the room and across the room the light you see the light you walk in you see this beautiful lampstand, the light, and then what it's, the light is emanating onto this table. So your eyes come in, you see the lamp, and then you follow it to this table. And what's upon it? Well, it's glorious to behold because it's all gold, but on it are, um, is bread. And we find out as we read in Leviticus 24, 5-9, that there are two rows of six loaves. And so this bread is there, representing what, and that's 12, you know, 2 times 6. Some of you already got there before I told you. That's good. And, and, you, and you realize that that's what? That's the 12 tribes. The 12 tribes of Israel. And again, just like the light is always to shine, as long as the tabernacle's set up, the bread is to always be on the table. And each Sabbath... Uh, the priest on duty would go in and they would eat the bread in the grounds of the tabernacle, remove the old bread, put new loaves, and every day, perpetually, 12 loaves were present on this table. What does that mean? What could that possibly be telling us? Well, we see as you read 24, you know, 5 through 9, as you look at that, that it says that the laying out of the bread on the table each Sabbath is to be, quote, an, a symbol of everlasting covenant from the children of Israel. And that you, you have this, this act of like, we are in communion with you, God. That the priest brings the bread, lays it on the table, and the light of the lamp... And it is, a, it is saying something, the people are saying something back to God of we are your people, we are in covenant with you, and we commune with you. And, and I think it's deeper than that, because think about all the ways that table fellowship has come into play in the scriptures, right? Think about when Abraham meets with God. He shows up, um, you know, a pre-incarnate Christ. God shows up with two angels, and he, what do they do? He feeds them. They, they meet together. They dine together. That's when he says, you know, your, 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 your wife's going to have a, a, a son, and that's when she laughs. Remember that story? She, <laughs> whatever. You know, and then, and then God goes, why is she laughing in there? And she's like, you know. And, but they, they, he communes with them as he makes this promise. And then just recently, what did we see? Abraham and, and Aaron and his sons and the 70 elders go up to the mountain, and what do they do? They eat with Yahweh in His presence. And He goes, now what I want you to do as you go out from this place, as I go with you, I want a perpetual sign of that communion, that, that, that we've made this covenant and that you, you've agreed and I've agreed and we had this meal to, to seal our covenant bond. And so now perpetually as you go forth, there's going to be a table with the, meat, with the bread present to, to show your commitment to me. But also I believe it's got to mean not just their commitment to Him, but that He's created a place for this. He wants them to know and be reminded that God is always present with them too. It's not just a picture of their devotion to God, but God's devotion to them. That He's willing every day 
to be present with them and commune with them. To, to, to live with them and provide for them. And it's important, just again, we imagine, imagine walking in. I hadn't even gotten to the description of the, the, the glorious description of the, of, of the tabernacle itself, but just imagine walking into a room with the smell of incense, and we haven't gotten there yet, but just seeing this lamp, this light, and it's casting its light on this table. And knowing before you is the throne of God. This isn't a place of... This isn't saying, beware! <laughs> this, isn't a, this, this room isn't saying, you better be careful, I'm a harsh guy. It's a God of saying, I am light and I'm life. I'm creator, I'm sustainer. And I'm faithful. And I provide. And I'm with you. And every time the... the that, that the priests walked in, the representing Israel, they had to go, oh, wow. The beauty, the majesty. Look what God is communicating in these furnishings. We have a light that is perpetual. Secondly, we have provision and a presence that is promised. And lastly, we have mercy and grace that that is found at the seat of power mercy and grace that is from and found in the, at the seat of power and then we come to the beginning of our text and this beautiful description of the ark um, um, the ark you know we have a we, we, we probably are more familiar with this because of uh, Indiana Jones movie. Um, I heard the new one was good. The fourth, the fourth one was bad. So, but the fifth and yeah, it was bad, wasn't it? The best one's still the you know Last Crusade. Anyway, but um, we'll see. I haven't seen the new one, but we we have this idea of the Ark, and we and we also that from that fictional point of view, we realize that it is a holy object, right? If you've ever watched that, I watched that too young. I think no no offense, but like no no, no judgment on parents, but. I was easily disturbed. That was a frightening scene, okay? <laughs> and you, where do they get that from? I'm not going to tell you, describe it, because there's still some kids in the room. Anyway, but uh, that, that scene, that last scene in the, the Raiders of the Lost Ark, uh, you realize that, that God, that this is a holy object. And, uh, and then, but you see it play out, not quite in that way, no details, but uh, we do see in 2 Samuel uh, 6, 3 through 7, uh, the story of Uzzah, who is just trying to stabilize the Ark uh, of the Covenant, but it was, you know, the, the mistake was he touched it, he shouldn't have. And the mistake before that was that they put it on a cart, pulled by horses. And we realize as you read this that what? Unlike the table, I mean, it had poles to carry it like the table, but unlike the table, uh, these poles were never to be removed. Did you see that? That these poles are to always stay in the rings because no one is to ever touch it. It's not just for a means of carrying it. It is for that, but no hand should ever touch this ark of God. It is holy and only for Him. Uh, we see that it is, we get the description of how, it, you know, its size. It's a, a cubit um, and a half in breadth, a cubit and a half in height. And two cubits and a half in length. We already got that? You got that? Everybody knows what a cubit is, no? Uh, well, approximately, if we convert it to, you know, 
what we know of as, as measure, units of measure, is approximately 3 feet 9 inches long, 2 feet 3 inches high, and, and 2 feet 3 inches wide. So it's not that big, right? It's about the size of a, you know, a nice size seat or a box. It's a box in, 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 in itself. Um, it, it's, uh, it has these rings and poles for the, you know, for the poles to go into, so it can never be not to be touched. Um, but it's a, it's at first you read it, it's a box, it's an ark, it's something that you know you put stuff in, just like the ark that Noah built to put he and his family and all the, the animals in. It's the, it's the same word used to describe what, um, what um, Moses' mother built when he put, when she put him in there and put him in the, in the river. It's an ark, and so here we have this ark, this box that's, that's, uh, and and what do we see? We see that it's to hold and contain the testimony of God or the Ten Commandments. Now, this is weird to us. I want you to make at the at the in the center, the most holy, the holy of holies. Uh, I want you to make a box and put the law in it. Again, that sounds very biblical. It's biblical. We've known it. If you grew up in the church, but why? It was common in that in that in this time for if you had a, a, a law or statutes that it would be put in the place of worship. It'd be put in a temple under, for that that country, whatever god, false god they worship. That was kind of part of it. Like we have a god and we have rules that we live by, and so that was a common thing to do. Also, it was a common practice for, the, for whatever the king would dictate, whatever laws he made, that it would be put in the footstool of the king. That it would, it, there were cultures that did that, that the, wherever he was, he sat on the throne, where his feet rested, under that were the laws of the land. In the sense, he stood upon it. But they, that's where his, you know, that, that determined his authority. And so here, you know, again, this, that was a culturally normal thing. Like, they would have heard of that. And so I want you to make a box. It's an ark. And it's going to have the law. But what is coming next? They would have anticipated. On top of it is a throne. Is a seat. Because that's where the king, the king, the footstool of the king is this, is the, it has the law in it. And his, and his rule is established upon that law that he's given, he's revealed. And so we, we have this, this art with the law, and again, that's weird to us, but that's common then. That, that underneath the throne, the footstool of the king would reside the, the law. And then we have this, this description of, the, of, the, of the, the mercy seat or the throne, the seat of God. And, and it's, it's amazing. Unlike, the, unlike the, uh, the ark itself, it's pure gold. The ark is wood overlaid with gold, but the, the, the throne, the, the mercy seat itself, is, is gold. And, and it's not just gold, but it's adorned with cherubim. These angelic beings. And they're not facing out on display, but they're facing in, facing each other. And then it says that God's not going to sit on the throne, like we would sit on a seat, but he's going to sit, he's going to be between the cherubim, present in a unique way um, in the midst of his people on that seat. 
but not sitting on the seat like a person, but in between the cherubim. And so, why? Because again, this is all based on a pattern. It's a picture of what? Of the heavenly realm, of the actual throne room of God, where all the heavenly beings are turned in worship and praise with their heads down and, and wings extended and this picture of God, of, 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 of heaven itself, where all beings and all creation is worshiping God. That, that's where He resides. And a little bit, a little picture of, of this heavenly realm is now right in the midst of His people. I mentioned that this is, we see that this is called a, a mercy seat. That's what it's referred to as. This comes from a Hebrew word that's caparet. Uh, that's close enough. <laughs> and uh, that word is derived from the root, a, root, a verb that means to make atonement. And so, as, as, we, as you see the Hebrew Bible um, you know, translated into Greek, uh, the, the Greek translation of mercy seat is called, is, they call it an instrument of propitiation. And, and that's why we call it mercy seat. Okay? It's an instrument. They, in, the, in the Greek, they, when they translate this, they call it, and then there's this on top of the ark is an instrument of propitiation. Now, that's a word that we see in the New Testament. What does propitiation mean? It is a, means a, a sacrifice that turns away wrath. A sacrifice that absorbs wrath and thus turns it away and satisfies it. And, and get this, this, this glorious throne where, where God dwells in this holy, holy of holies where only one person once a year can go in. What happens at that throne is the blood of the sacrifice that one time a year is put on the corners of, the, of that ark, of that throne. And because the, the blood is put there, what it represents is God has made a way for this, you know, you know, uh, messed up human being, the, 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 the priest, and made a way through the priest for God's people to enter in and be in relationship with Him and be in His presence. And it's through that blood sacrifice. And so we find this beautiful ornate seed of power that you can't, that we can't touch, <laughs> that only one person once a year can enter into. It, it can't, you know, if you carry it, we transport it, you have to hold the poles. It, 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 it's, it, there's this holiness that, that, is, that is beyond us. Yet once a year, this priest comes in and applies the blood of the sacrifice. Demonstrating what? That there is a there's a way. God's making a way. Making a way for this wrath that's deserved to be to be absorbed, to be taken away, to not fall on his people. So now just imagine walking in, walking into that tabernacle. We again we're not we haven't Illustrated or talked about this, the, the, the tabernacle itself, but walking into that room with the light of the lamps, that perpetual light, perpetual life being symbolized, the perpetual presence of God, the perpetual uh, provision of God being there on display, 
And then walking in through the veil and seeing this glorious golden ark the cherubim facing the center, the, uh, the, uh, a manifestation of God's glory in, in sitting, hovering above it with the, His law as His footstool. But what, what we find is not, even though that can't be touched and it's holy, we find that every year He's saying, there's propitiation. There's atonement. And we realize that from that throne doesn't emanate just wrath and judgment, but we realize that from that throne is a, it emanates God's loving presence, that from that throne emanates mercy and grace to His people. That's inviting, isn't it? That's beautiful. And it's not just, hey, I want to make a, a beautiful room for worship. You know? That's not the take. That's not the application. Because I've been in prettier rooms than this. <laughs> the application is, let's just, let's put gold everywhere. You know, I like a gold chair right here. You know, I've seen that on a TV show one time. Anyway, no, um, no, I don't want that. Anyway, but what is that? What's the takeaway? That God's fancy? <laughs> no, the takeaway is He's holy. He's mighty. He's worthy of our of, of most precious gifts. He's worthy of all our devotion, but He also from Him emanates light and life and provision and faithfulness and rule and power and holiness and mercy and grace and love. I'm going to put my throne... In your midst. I'm going to rule with you. I'm going to be present with you. And all of these things, all of these furnishings, we find they come to fruition in Jesus Himself. The true Emmanuel. The the fullness of this God with us. Because it says of Jesus that He was the light and the life of men. We read in the, in the New Testament that, that He is the way, the truth, and the life. That life and light are found in Him. When we go to Revelation and we see what? The seven lampstands representing the seven churches. What's the, the one true light that's blinding? You can't even look upon Him. The light that's brighter than all others. The light that, that gives light to the churches. It's Christ Himself. When Jesus is ministering, He goes, I am the bread of life. I'm the provision of God. It's me. And He reveals Himself to be the King on the throne. If you've seen Me, you've seen the Father. I am Yahweh. I am before Abraham, he says. He is, he's claiming that He is divine. He is, he is God who is on the throne. And through His blood, there is propitiation. And all of this, all of this, though concealed, is fully revealed. The, the, the full impact of these holy furnishings is, is seen so much clearly through the lens of Jesus. So when you see these and you think about these things, it's just like, these are weird and gaudy and so outdated and 
this is, why do I need to know this? Because when we look at this and see the beauty of this, we see and learn the beauty of Jesus. That He fulfills these. He's, he embodies all these beautiful furnishings in Himself, in His person, in His ministry. When you think about this room, you realize just how beautiful and inviting it is. And that should lead you to realize as you think about Jesus, how beautiful and inviting He is. And because He shed His blood, because He laid down His life, we can enter into that beauty. We're going to come to this and we'll talk more about it later, but this was off limits to people like you and me. Only the priests got to behold these things. And maybe you'd see them as they passed by in transit as they were moving from place to place. But once the tabernacle was set up, you couldn't go in. You couldn't see these. Just the priests. And then in that holy place for the, for the ark, just the high priest. But now we can experience the beauty of all these things. Because we have been brought in through our faith in Christ. And that faith is a gift. In Christ we find light and life that is perpetual. In Christ we find provision and presence that is promised. In Christ we find Him on the seat of power. And from Him coming mercy and grace to sinners like you and me. go now to the table. You can't, it's, it's hard to separate this table of, of presents and the, and, the, and the showbread there. And then this table we come here, on that table was, it says, bread that was always there. And also it had jugs where there was apparently wine that was poured out for um, sacrifice as well. There were utensils and plates and wine and bread. And that was ever before, ever, ever before God and ever before the priests. I want you to know that this table is communicating that this, this God of love and grace, this God who has the power to save, He's ever before you. He's, His love is, ever, is always offered to you. It is perpetual. The light, the life, the provision, the promise is perpetual for you who trust in Him. As you take of this meal, think about that. Think about that. That it, it points to, yes, the wedding supper of the Lamb, but also it just it points to His, right now, He's present, the promise is real, He has you, He will provide for you, He will see you all the way to the promised land. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this, your word. Bless, um, bless us as we partake of the, of the meal, of the Lord's Supper. Um, may we be overwhelmed by the beauty of the furnishings of the tabernacle and never separate that from the beauty of you, Lord Jesus, that you are revealing yourself. You're revealing the, the pattern of the heavenly realms, um, the reality of those heavenly, heavenly places. 
Thank you for letting us enter into your provision, your, 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 your love, um, your light. Um, we thank you that we find all this in you, who is the true tabernacle, the true temple. Um, we thank you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.